Last week we spoke out of Psalm 1. I'm just going to go over Psalm 1 for a second. But I'll be preaching out of Joshua chapter 1 today. So we're going to open up to Psalm 1. We'll read it. We went through it last week. As soon as I find it. I'll get there. There we are. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, for sin is in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way to righteous, but the way to wicked will perish. Let's go over to Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 1. I will read the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land that I am given them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may do good and succeed wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us for wherever we go. And we know, God, that the promise of the Old and the New Testament is this. And it's sure, it's secure. We can count on it. You'll never leave us, nor would you forsake us. And thank you, God, as we pilgrim through this world, Father God, through the ups and the downs, through the curveballs, through the uncertainties of the future, Father God, we have this sure foundation that stands and holds us up. The Lord would never leave us, nor would he ever forsake us. For all his promises are yea and amen for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Give us insights into Joshua's life as a man who fulfills Psalm 1. He's a man that meditates on the word of God and had prosperous success in his life and ministry in Jesus name amen last week I spoke on Psalm 1 and meditating on the word of God and how it quarantines us 
from the world, to have our mind filled with the Word of God, filled with the Word of God. And the New Testament says a little different. And remember what I said last week, anytime we go into the Old Testament, we get a teaching, and uh, especially the moral applications of this, the New Testament says everything a lot better. Whatever the Old Testament says, the New Testament says it so much better, with so much more power, so much more might. And But we are going into the Old Testament because the Old Testament is going to give us uh, an example of a man who meditated on the Word of God night and day. He did not stand in the way of sinners. He didn't sit in the way of the wicked or, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, but his delight, Joshua's delight, was in the Word of God. So I want to look at this man. What can we learn from him? What can we glean? How can we apply it to our life? What's there to be learned from a text? We're reading something that's 3,500 years old. Not just three and a half millennium ago, but culture so diverse than you and me today. And how are we to take this text and apply it to our life when you're on a tram, when you're working, when you're doing the dishes, when you're changing diapers, when you're paying bills? And how do we take this text and make it relative for our life today? Well, I don't have to make it relative. It is relative. We are believers and we're fighting the same battle Joshua fought. We're battling the same battles the psalmist fought in his day. And that was 3,000 years ago. And I spoke a little bit about this last week, but... Let's take a look at it. Let's see what we can glean from it today. Amen. Uh, last week we went through Psalm 1 and the soul that delights in God. And, uh, and he did not stand with sinners, as I already said. Uh, the law in Psalm 1, I want to make this clear. When we speak about the law, what's your first thoughts? I mentioned this last week. Usually it's some kind of moral exhortation, isn't it? You know, uh, do not do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Some kind of do and don't, you know, and, and how to be a better something, you know. Uh, though that is the law, there are stipulations in the law. The law is specifically the first five books of Moses. That's important for us to understand. It's the first five books of Moses. Yeah, we find the Ten Commandments in there. Matter of fact, we find a lot of commandments, a lot of legislation on how to live right. And we need to know these things. But it's also the plan of redemption that's played out there. Each book is revealing something different about God. Not something different, something more about God. Each book is a progressive revelation. When you read chapter 1 of Genesis, and you get to chapter 4 of Genesis, only three chapters, you're going to see so much more about God, about life, about the relationship between the Creator and the creation. When you go from book to book to book, you're seeing more and more and more of God's promises being fulfilled, and, and how we are to respond to that. So it's important for us to know that. But within this redemptive history, and that's what that is, there are these commandments God does give on how to live right before Him. And one of the number one commandments is that you have no other... That's number one. God's not just concerned about don't commit adultery, of course. Don't murder, of course. Don't steal, of course. Don't bear false witness, of course. Do not cover your neighbor, of course. But if you don't get the first commandment right, you don't get anything right. And so you got to remember something about uh, Old Testament religion. It was in a world of pagan idolatry. There was only one theocracy, that was Israel. Every other nation, every other religion, guess what? Had it wrong. And not just wrong, absolutely wrong. Not even close. 
The Jews had to learn how to live like God's people. Amen? You and I, when we're saved, guess what? We have to learn to live like God's people. The Apostle Paul says it's the renewing. We've got to renew our mind. We can't be conformed to the culture. We need to be transformed by the word of God so the culture doesn't own me. And everything we're going to read about today, it's about the culture. God's not just concerned about uh, don't do this and do that. God's concerned don't get caught up in the pagan idolatrous behavior of the culture. Don't get caught up in the hedonism that follows the culture. Don't get caught up in all that stuff. Get your mind filled with my word. Get around my people. Worship me in spirit and the truth. And that alone will quarantine you from all the temptations of the world. And so powerful is this that I can go out into that world and not be part of it anymore. I have the word of God in my mind. I have the Holy Spirit in my soul. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have to be quarantined in a little 240 mile by 60 mile plot of land called Canaan. God had to do that 3,500 years ago. Now with the giving of the Holy Spirit, I can go to the whole world. I can go anywhere. I can go anywhere. Me and my wife can travel anywhere. And guess what? Wherever I go, Christ goes with me. Or I should say, wherever I go, I go with Christ. I can do all things wherever I am, at any time, in any place in the world. I don't have to be quarantined. Are you with me? We are empowered to live the Christian life. Israel didn't have that. The coming of Christ and the Holy Spirit had not come yet. So God has to quarantine them from all the other bad nations around them. Let me give you an example. Let Let me teach you something about theology. Something called the imperative and the indicative. I don't know how many people understand that. But an imperative is an exhortation, a moral exhortation. This is what you have to do. Live holy because God is holy. Now understand something. That is true in the Old Testament. That's true in the New Testament. But before every imperative, before any moral exhortation to live for him, there's always something called the indicative. It's based on what something God has already done. Are you with me? The nation of Israel was to leave, live a moral, spiritual, upright life because God delivered them out of the fiery furnace, out of the house of slavery, from Pharaoh, from tyranny. He delivered them from that. So now to live for God is not a big deal. You and I live for God. Why? Because God saved us. We don't live for God to be saved. If you're trying to be saved, you'll never be saved. You either are saved or you are not saved. You are already in the Lamb's book of life or you are not. When you know you are, then we live as God wants us to live. Are you with me? Yes. That's very important for us to know. We live for God. That's the imperative because he saved us. That's the indicative. Tonight we'll look at this man, Joshua, who fulfilled this really good. His name actually means the Lord Saves, And that's important for us to know as we go through Joshua. His name is a constant reminder to Joshua and to the nation of the great exploits Joshua did were not under his own power. But God does the saving. No man at all. Everything that was accomplished in the book of Joshua, in the whole 
Bible is because of God, not because of man. There's no personality cult going on over here. If you're not sure what a personality cult is, is that you don't praise Joshua, you praise you praise God. You don't praise me, you don't praise sonship, you don't praise your husband, you don't praise your wife. You praise God at all times. No man gets any glory whatsoever. It, all the glory alone goes to God. That's why Joshua's name is salvation. God saves. They were going into the land of promise. It wasn't Joshua. God saves. It's always God. Joshua's whole personal life and his ministry can be summed up in his own words found in chapter 24, verse 15. Most of us know these words, but I want to put it on the board up there. Joshua 24, 15. And we know that last sentence. But as for me and my house, that's it. That's Joshua summing up his whole life. That was his whole life was about. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will start with an application right away. Have you adopted that into your life? Is that your mission statement? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you made that determination already before you even leave that your life is determined to worship God and to serve God? Joshua did that. He did it perfectly. The reason he did it, he's a man who meditated on the word of God night and day. He was sure to obey it. And guess what? God gave him success and prosperity everywhere he went. Now, we like prosperity, don't we? We like that word. Prosperity. You know, you have you think of riches and, and you think of things, you know, and but we're gonna find out as we found out last week, prosperity and the word of God, two different things. It's not just materialistic, it could be, but it's all the intangibles of faithfulness to God. Let's go to our text. Let's read verse one and two. We'll put that on the board. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said, I might add personally, to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving them, to the people of Israel. Joshua here is called by God himself. This is important. And he's commissioned by God to follow after Moses, not to replace Moses. He's not replaces Moses, but he's picking up where Moses finished. In the plan of universal redemption, God has sequential order. Things are starting to transpire. There was a promise given to a man named Abraham that God was going to give this land of Canaan, flown with milk and honey, to his descendants, even before he had any children. These descendants was going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. He gave this man a promise before he had a child. Him and his wife are old. They will be on childbearing years. But God made a promise that you're going to have a great inheritance and they are going to have this land. That was the promise. Well, God kept part of that promise so far. He made a mighty nation out of one man and one woman. And now the time comes to give them the land. This is the fulfillment of a promise. And you want that to be fulfilled. That's why you and me are here. You know why? God is faithful to what? His promises. And you and I can rest assured that God is faithful to his promises. 
So Joshua was called by God himself and commissioned to go and follow up now, to take these great people into this great promise of this land that's flowing in milk and honey. All these people know, they know nothing, but living in the desert for 40 years. Did you know that? They don't even know what food tastes like. You know they ate no food? For 40 years they ate manna from the sky. They would wake up in the morning and there was this strange stuff on the ground. It was like, it tasted like honey. It was a little bit of a wafer. And they would collect this. And for 40 years, that's all they ate. And now they're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. How would you like to all of a sudden wake up and win $350 million? How would you like that? It sounds good, right? It's going to be a little scary too, right? That's what's taking place. They know nothing about plenty. A matter of fact, they had to collect their food every day. They couldn't collect enough food to last two or three days. They had to wake up and just get enough for the day. Just get enough 40 years. And now this whole group of people are going to go into this land that's flown with milk and honey. The food's going to be thrown at them. Guess what? They never lived in a house. They just wandered around. God was a fire at night. He protected them. God was a cloud by day. He protected them. They didn't need nothing. They weren't building houses. They just marched around. Now they're going to go into cities whose houses they're going to take over. They're inheriting this great land. They didn't lift one finger for any of it, and God's going to give it to them. Do you know that success in Scripture takes more people out than failure? You read the Scripture. God doesn't warn people about when you fail, be careful. He says when you go into the land and you succeed and you prosper, be careful and don't forget about me. People forget about God when you prosper. Not when you're down on your luck. That's when you run to God. All of a sudden you get a little prosperity, a little success. The promises are coming to pass. I'm doing okay here. Sunday what? Bible who? Pastor him? These are big shoes. Big shoes to fill. Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua knows what the implication is. Joshua is basically saying, are you going to be with me like you were with Moses? These people are following Moses. These are big. This is no easy task. You have to remember something about Joshua. Even though God's telling him, don't be scared. This man is a decorated war hero. He's a veteran of war. He's an outstanding leader. But now he's the one in charge. There's a big difference. All the eyes are going to be on him. And they want to know, is God going to be with Joshua the way he was with Moses? 
And the land is come. This is a pivotal time in the nation. As I said earlier, the land promise was given as a token to Abraham 500 years ago. God said, look up. All this land where you try is going to be yours. And I'm going to give it to your inheritance. Now the time has come. They're going to go in. They're going to drive out all the people. And God's telling them, do not be scared. Do not be afraid. Do not be timid. Wherever the soles of your foot go, I will give you success. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Wow, what a promise, right? How would you like to hear that from God? How many people, really, would you want God to tell you that? You're not sure, are you? I'll tell you something better. He says you're more than conquerors. He says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He says neither height or death or death or angels or principalities could ever separate you from the love of God. Whatever God told Joshua, God tells us something even more stupendous than what he ever said to Joshua. If we really knew who we were in Christ, we'd be conquerors. We'd be conquerors. But let me explain something here. Joshua is going to be called to do incredible things by God. He's going to march around a huge city with huge thick walls, some 30 feet thick. And then blow trumpets after seven days. And guess what? That takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? Come on. You're like, God, you got to be kidding me. i got swords. Over. Let's go in. Let's go through the front door. Let's take him out. He's going to call to walk over the Jordan River. Guess what? God had to separate the river for Joshua just like he did for Moses. It takes a lot of faith. How about this one? Are you ready? Joshua. When you go into Jericho, kill every man, woman, and child, and every living beast, and put them to destruction. You forgot about that part of the text, right? It takes a lot of faith. I don't know if I have that faith. Praise God, I'm living in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. I'm not here to explain all that now, but understand something. The task that Joshua has to fulfill is huge. And it's not to be taken lightly. And as much of a man of God he has been up until this point, are you ready? He's got a long way to go. Doesn't that talk to us today? God still wants to do great things in us. As much as he has done already through you and through me and in our lives, guess what? God wants us to do even greater things. And guess what? We need to be, have faith. And guess where we need to put our mind? In the word of God. Because, listen, from now on, God spoke to his servant, Joshua, but he doesn't speak to him anymore. He's got to hear it in the word of God. That's why God directs him. Meditate on my law and be careful to obey it. I'm not going to sit here and talk to you every morning, Joshua. I'm not going to give you the news every morning. Don't you just want to open up the Bible and God speaks to you? 
But you don't just want to put your finger somewhere. Remember when you get first say, you don't want to put your finger here and, put, and God's talking to you. Dude, this is easy. This is great. God's doing everything. Then one day, guess what? Your finger's like, you worm Jacob. Oh, let me get out of that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, uh, be a slave to hope. Get away from that one. Give up your own. Get away from that one. All of a sudden, God starts speaking in a different way. But I'm making light of the matter. But you know something? God wants Joshua and God wants you and God wants me to continually grow up and become men and women. We spoke a couple of weeks ago that God does not want us to be a child, to think like a child, to reason like a child, and act like a child. He wants us to put our childish ways behind us. Joshua is generally called to do incredible things for God. But he doesn't leave him there. Listen to verses 3 to 5. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. That's the whole Palestine. 240 miles long, about 60 miles wide, as widest. That's what he's talking about. That's Canaan. That's Palestine today. He goes on to say, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. In God's eyes, it's a done deal. In your life and in my life, where do you want to start when it comes to the future? Do you want to figure it out, or you want God to tell you your future already? I can tell you right now. You'll be with Christ forever. How's that sound? Pretty good future, right? Yeah, but Brian, what about now? No, no, no. The future. Let that possess your mind. Because when that reality is the most important thing to you, that I am saved and I will be with Christ forever, guess what? This world, it starts to lose its power. It starts to lose its allure. It starts to lose its seducing effect. You know why? Because it's not all that apparent. Jesus said that. What is a profit of man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? So us who don't forfeit our soul, guess what? No matter life, whatever life throws at us, our future is secure. Joshua's future was secure. No man will be able to stand before him. In God's eyes, it is done. God has given Joshua the final outcome even before it even happens. The absolute full potential lies all before his eyes. Nothing is held back. God hangs it all out there and says, Joshua, look to the Mediterranean. Look to the north. Look to the south. Look as far as you can. It is yours. It's all going to encourage Joshua. God is encouraging him, getting him ready for battle. There is nothing Joshua cannot accomplish. Then what's the problem? Verse 6, 7, 8, 9 is the problem. Listen to verses 6, 7, 8, 9. It gives us a little insight into Joshua. There's a big but here. In these four verses, God commands Joshua to be strong and courageous. Four times he says it. In four verses. Do you know why? He's afraid. Yeah. Wouldn't you be afraid? <laughs> Even though he's a, a battled warrior for God already. He's a veteran. These are big shoes to fill. Yeah. Listen to it. Be strong and courageous. 
For you shall call these people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. But God already told him he was going to be prosperous, didn't he? What is this? We've got some kind of stipulation going on over here. And then you will have good success. God said you would be successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even though Joshua was an experienced warrior and an experienced leader, he was not the lead man. There's something you need to know about this. Joshua had inner fears like most human beings do. Now he's won a lot of skirmishes but he's never gone up against seven nations mightier than Israel. This is a first for Joshua. This is a step up spiritually. And also something else. He's going up against seven mightier nations with the nation of Israel. Doesn't sound too big, right? The nation of Israel is the most finicky nation on the planet Earth. They can turn on a leader like you can turn on a dime. They turned on Moses. They're going to turn on Joshua later on. Moses went up to to, to, to Mount Sinai when he came back. What were they doing? They were dancing around, partying, playing the hedonistic lifestyle. They were so unpredictable. And this is what Joshua had to lead. You be scared and dismayed too. You you need God in your life. But that's how it is. So God reminds him in the law and encourages him to seek comfort and strength. Not in the people. The last thing any leader ever wants to do is to take stock in the people. You've got to take it in God, who's the God of the people. You want to know a failure? King Saul failed in that very thing. King Saul was called to go and wage war against the Amalekites and take the king, kill everything, man, beast, and child, and the king. Guess who didn't do that? What does Samuel do? took the sword, after he rebukes King Saul, he chops the king to pieces. This is a serious thing. Joshua knows what he's called to do over here. This is serious. He needs to be encouraged to seek comfort, not from the people. King Saul listened to the people. Saul said, but the people said, we can save the best of the sheep and give it as an offering to God. Saul, listen to the people. The last thing you ever want is a leader that listens. No way. That's what Joshua's concerned about. He's got to lead these people. And he has to learn to say no to everything and keep his eyes on God. And the only way he can keep his eyes on God now 
was to be in the Word of God day and night and meditating on that book that teaches him not just what good and evil is, but the difference of good and evil. The book's going to teach him why there's evil and where to find the good. And the reason there's evil, because mankind disobeyed God. And the only way he's going to find out where the truth is, is in the word of God. From now on, God speaks only to Joshua through the word. No more personal words like this. But Joshua has to live by faith. And Joshua has to live by obedience. The book of Hebrews teaches us this. In Hebrews 11 verse, I think it's 30. Do we have it? Did I give you that? Okay. We know it. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Joshua had to learn to live by faith. When I'm speaking to new believers, and I'm speaking to believers, and I'm speaking to believers going through hard times, and you're saying, all right, and you're trying to encourage them, you got to hold on now. you got to live by faith. Don't go by what you see. Don't go by what you hear. Get your mind filled with the promises of God. And those who do will be successful in their life. Even though God himself had taught and encouraged Joshua, he still had to learn to both live and lead by faith. The law taught him along with the experience that God is true to his word. And let me just tell you something at the end. The whole book of Joshua is not about rules and regulations and the law. It's about the faithfulness of God that the law shows us. It's not about rules and commandments. It's about God and his faithfulness. God made a promise to the patriarch Abraham. This is your land. Guess what's coming to pass? It's actually starting to happen. This is huge. If God said it, God means it. Joshua was a man who learned to hold God to his promise. I'm telling you here today, God wants you to be a husband. He wants you to be a wife. He wants you to be a mother, a grandmother, a father, a grandfather. He wants you to be a leader. He wants you to be someone who wrestles with God in prayer with the promises of God. I'm telling you, you want to be successful, meditate on the promises of God. And with your fear, with your anxiety, and with your tears, go to God with those promises and hold them to the promises of God. Pastor can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. Your girlfriend can't do it for you. The government won't do it for you. If you want peace and joy and contentment in your life, please listen to me. If you remember anything today, get the promises of God in your heart and war with God with the promises. Jacob did it at the fords of the river. If God said it, God means it. You can set the whole course of your life and your family's life, the whole course of your ministry, on the promises of God and your future and your family's future will be secure God's promises never fail let me give you a side note on this God's not concerned with seven nations he's not concerned with armies God can just breathe on them and and, and drive them all away he's not concerned with manpower raw manpower it doesn't scare God 
What God was concerned about was the sinful religious ways of these nations and that Israel would be contaminated by them. He knew how prone they were to wander. He knew how prone they were to idolatry. He knew they grew up under 400 years under Pharaoh. And even after God delivered them in the Exodus, they took all their trinkets and they took all their pagan toys out with them. You don't think we do that, do you? You think you're all, when you come to Christ and you're born again, you're saved, that you don't bring the old ways with you, do you? Stick around. You know, actually, Paul uses this as an example to a New Testament believer. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's about the same time in history. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers with Joshua all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as what? Ah, two. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You know what that means? That's the golden calf. Okay? The leader wasn't there, so let's party. Okay. Verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. There's Christians running around thinking you can worship God and have sex with anybody you want. And they don't really believe this. Like, it's okay. God's serious. That's what Paul's saying here. They thought the same thing in the Old Testament, and guess what? 23,000 were wiped out in one day. Listen to Paul. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the servants. All right, sexual immorality, I understand, but listen to this. Nor grumble as some of them were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction to whom the end of the ages have come. I won't read the rest of it. It says enough. This is what Joshua has to do. He has to go into a land with seven pagan nations, with all the hedonistic cultural sins. And he has to clear out all the land and make it holy ground so Israel can go in and worship God uninterrupted by the sinful world around them. That's why God has to clear it out. You and me today, when we come to Christ and we're born again, God starts to wash us and encourage us from the inside through the word. And slowly but surely, we start living a counter-cultural life. Christianity is the quintessential expression of counter-cultural. It is the Christian and no one else that is the quintessential expression of what it means to be counter-cultural. We are going against the stream.
compromise with the culture is a slow death. So when the psalmist in Psalm 1 is saying, the man who meditates on the law and delights in the law, he doesn't get caught up in the culture of sinners, of the wicked, and of the mocker. He's consumed with God. He's consumed with the goodness of God. He's consumed with the loving laws of God. He's consumed with what God did and what God's promised to do and what God has done. It's on this this law, on this redemptive history. He meditates day and night. You know what is a really good restraint against moral weakness? Worship music. Worship music is awesome. I mean, read your Bible, study your Bible, but wherever you're alone in the car, wherever you are, keep the worship music going. You'll feel so close to God. Let me tell you something. That is like filling your mind with wonderful, good things. So yeah, we meditate. Yeah, we, we pray. Yeah, we study the Bible. Yeah, we preach the Bible. Yeah, we teach the Bible. But sing it and worship God, and you will be empowered on the inside. You want to see a successful man? Let's go to chapter 23. Chapter 23. I'm going to have some fun. Let's have some fun. Let's start in verse 1. Okay. Listen to Joshua. A long time afterward. It's about 30 years. I did the math. So between chapter 1 and chapter 23 is 30 years. He's coming to the end of life. The Bible says Joshua died at uh, 110. Okay? So here we are. He's coming to the end of his life. He's given his farewell address to the leaders. A long time after when the Lord had given rest to the Israel from all their surrounding enemies. And Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and the heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who fought you, not me. Remember? Not about me. My name is Joshua. God saves. For it is the Lord who fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, that sound familiar to you? Where did he get that from? What is he saying? What is he saying? The same thing God told him. 30 years later, still hot off the press. If it was good 30, if old time religion was good 35 years ago, it's good today. What do we need to do? A new twist on Jesus, a new Bible, a new look, maybe some smoke, some mirrors, some this. Make it look real good for the culture, for the hipsters. No, this is all I need. Someone has to tell me, be very strong and keep and do all that is written in the word of God. You want to serve God? You want to have a happy, prosperous, successful life? That's all you need. Make no mistake about it. I love this. Therefore, be very strong. You see, listen to the way he says it. 
He says it like a man who owns this truth. When I used to fight in karate, and I've shared this before, before you can own a technique, whether you're kicking or whether you're punching or whether you're throwing a judo throw or a handlock, it's when you do it like 10,000 times. You can do it with your eyes closed. You can do it with a fever. You can do it with a broken rib. You can do it when you're exhausted. It's so you own that. Joshua owned this. He's a man that worked this out in the, in the fire of his life. This is a man coming to his deathbed. He says, I'm old. I'm advanced in years. I'm not going to be around longer. But this I owe. I own this. Be very strong and keep what is written in the book. I've been doing it all my life. God has never failed me. He'll never fail you either. Listen to this. Listen to the transformation from from one. When God had to encourage him, don't be scared. This doesn't sound like a man who's scared anymore. It's because he meditated and he obeyed. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the, the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor the left. That's God's words. And this is why, that you may not mix with these nations. Remember, it's not about taking down the nations. He just does, he wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. This is about the number one commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your soul and mind. You shall have no other gods besides Jehovah God. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. Understand something. He's not, that's not hyperbole. When you put the numbers and you crunch the numbers and the scholars do this, the nation of Israel was always outnumbered, not just 10 to 1, sometimes 100 to 1. But they won every battle. And the one battle they lost, Joshua 6, in a town called Ah, is because there was sin in the camp. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he has promised. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. This is not about meditating on some cold commandment. It's about loving God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Verse 14, I'll close with. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed. 
Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one has failed. I'm going to ask you something. You come to the end of your life. What's the most precious thing you can give a child? Your riches? How about your unbelief? What do you want to sit there and tell a child and a grandchild? Not one word of God's promises ever fail. Not one word, not one promise God has ever given the believer will ever, ever fail you. This is a man who has lived under the promise of God in a war-torn era for 30 plus years. 40 in the desert. That's 70 altogether. He's 110. He's coming to the end of his life. And he can point people into the direction of the word of God. Man. Let me tell you something. Children and grandchildren should see mom and dad saturating the word of God. You should be known, and I'm challenging you today, should be known as a man and a woman that's constantly reading the word, that children know, that's my mother's time with a cup of coffee and the word of God. That's my father's time, the TV's not on, he's listening, he's listened to a sermon, he's praying, and he's reading the word of God. If you want to give your children a deposit, give them the word of God. It never fails. The God of the word does not fail. Everything in the world is going to fade away, but the promises of the word of God endure forever. What are you giving people? If you're not giving them the Bible and all the promises of God, guess what? You're giving them nothing. This man knew God. Joshua knew God. I encourage you to go home, read chapter 23 and chapter 24, and listen to this old man who lived by the promises of God. Listen to how he preached. It's his best to preach your messages. Chapter 23, chapter 24. Go home and read it tonight, please. Let's go into some application and we'll close. Early in 2009, after the stock market took a big nosedive, and people were panicking. What are we going to do with our money? Buy gold, sell, okay? Everybody's running around panicking. Me and my wife are running around panicking. My father-in-law said, don't panic. I've been down this road before. Buy more stock. (laughs) Buy more stock. We bought more stock. Praise God, we bought more stock. It's off the charts. The dividends of this wisdom is enormous. I 
I use that as just a small application on the Word of God. Give people the Word of God. And watch what happens in 10 years, in 15 years. Guess what happens in a month. Let people put their life and their trust into the promises of the Word of God and see what happens. There's something interesting in the Bible as I was preparing this sermon. And my thoughts just went to and fro about everybody in the Bible that got old and died. But God gave them a chance to speak. They all spoke with this kind of gratitude and this kind of power that God does not fail. This was no timid man coming to the end of his life saying, oh, oh, I'm scared. No. When you live by the word of God, when it comes to the end, you can sit there and say like Jesus said as he was going to the cross, don't cry for me, women of Jerusalem. Cry for yourself. Don't cry for me. What a legacy. This is the secret of success. Joshua in chapter 23 and chapter 4 is given the secret of success. Meditate on the word of God. Live in the promises of God. Apply them to your heart. God never fails you. Give God time to fulfill his promises in your life. And you too will be successful and prosperous beyond your wildest imaginations. What is the most important thing, as I already said, that you can leave your children and your grandchildren? It's the word of God. Point them to the promises of God. Two, second application. As I said already, at the end of the day, the Lord, the whole Bible is not just about promises or moral commandments or even being successful. The most important thing is that God is faithful and you can trust him. Do you know why? You know what the first lie to humanity was? Did God Did God say that? And Adam and Eve, they were like, they were, they were, they were tossing the fruit around. We don't know. No one wants to give an answer over here. You see, human beings come out of the womb not knowing they can trust God. As Christians, we are re- God's reestablishing that he's a trustworthy God through his church. I am here to tell you, you can trust God in all situations. You can. Meditate on his word. He's faithful to the end. And here's the one that most of us are going to struggle with. Last one. In a world of get rich fast, or get whatever you want really fast, instantaneous happiness, the Bible teaches us something different to this man-made Get quick. The Bible teaches us that through faith in God's promises, the future will always be bright. It might not look that way right away. Are you with me? Many people come to Christ because life is hard. And there's a lot of promises over there. And you're waiting. It's not next week. But through obedience and faith, as the years go on, all of a sudden, the dividends. I bought that stock. I bought all those stocks, me and my wife, in fear, but I trusted my father, the father-in-law's word. He's time-tested. He said, do it. We were scared. All our investors said, don't do it. My father-in-law said, do it. We went through it. Everybody else fell apart. (laughs) Through the roof. 
Now, it's only a materialistic thing. I please get it right here. My hope and my dream is not in that. I'm using it as an analogy. You have to know how to invest your time and your mind. Invest it into God. Because the dividends of God's blessing will overtake you and they will last not just a lifetime. When you come to the end of your life, you'll be able to speak with deep conviction to your children and to your grandchildren about how faithful God is. Father, I just ask you to bless the word, Father. I can never possibly do any real justice to how awesome Joshua's heart was towards you. We thank you that Jesus Christ is our Joshua. God saves. Jesus Christ is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our glorification. We have everything lock, stock, and barrel in Jesus Christ, Father. And we know that alone, Father God, will bring sure success. Help us to meditate on your word.